Espinela Caída is the song. Banana de Cana is the album. I probably mispronounced that. Apologize to the band Terremoto, who gave us permission to play their music on this episode of the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes the not-so-classic genre cinema of yesteryear. It is Monster Kid Radio, and I am your writer, host, and producer, Derek M. Cook. Welcome to this episode of MK. This week, we have the return of an old friend, somebody who hasn't been on the show. Well, it's been a couple of years, and I so regret that because I have so much fun talking about monster movies and that sort of thing with Dr. Drek, a.k.a. Michael Leggy. Now, Michael Leggy's had a couple of things going on. He is an author. He's got a brand new book that came out about a month or so ago. I am really excited for you guys and gals to hear about it. Also, we're going to talk about one of Michael's favorite Topics, an actor that he has been championing for a long time. I'm talking about Dwight Fry. Now, Dwight Fry may not be the household name, or at least should be household name that Lugosi and Karloff and them are, but without Dwight Fry, I would be willing to say that Dracula and Frankenstein, the original films from Universal, wouldn't be as good because you wouldn't have Renfield and you wouldn't have Fritz. Well, Dwight Fry did a lot more than just these two iconic roles, some horror stuff, some non-genre material, and Michael and I are going to talk a little bit about that. Michael has been a big fan of Dwight Fry and has introduced me to some really cool movies with Mr. Fry that I would have never even thought to seek out if not for having spoken with Michael. So if nothing else, I appreciate that. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about Dwight Price history with Michael, but if you need more, Kenny is back from his month-long siesta with a brand new look at Famous Monsters of Filmland, which did a pretty in-depth history of the man. So Kenny's going to go through that with us as well. So you can get Michael and I talking about our opinions, a little bit of facts, a little bit of history, and then Kenny's going to drop the knowledge on us. Before that, though, we've got the Beta Capsule Review. Mark Matsky is continuing to knock it out of the Ultra Park, talking about the next episode of Ultraman. You know, if you go back in all the previous episodes, you can actually follow along all of the Ultra series. We are on episode 9 of Ultraman right now. I am so thrilled that I've got Mark and Kenny contributing segments to the show. It really means a lot to have these two guys who really know what they're doing. Mark is a longtime podcaster and he's been putting all of his skills on display with these segments that he sends me. And Kenny, dude, I don't know what it is you're doing now, but they sound so good. Not that the other one sounded bad. They, they didn't, but I loved what you sent in this week. It was awesome. So thank you to Mark and Kenny. And before we get into the rest of the show, if you, listener, are interested in contributing a segment to Monster Kid Radio, drop me a line at monsterkidradio at gmail.com and we'll talk. Well, maybe make something happen. Also, if you're interested in advertising here on the podcast or any of the movie streams that I'll tell you about at the end of the show, again, email me at monsterkidradio at gmail.com and I'll send you an ad sheet. Advertising is incredibly affordable and, well, we couldn't do what we do without all of our advertisers like Stephen D. Sullivan. You'll hear an ad for one of his books later on in this episode as well. You know, I keep talking about later on in this episode. We're not going to get to later on in this episode until I shut my trap. So consider it shut. Let's go.
Trapped. 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 <laughs> They're trapped in a whirlpool of shrieking fear from the most fiendish idea ever conceived by the human brain. The brainiac. And it has a friend. She was beautiful, desirable, and not altogether human. The curse of the crying women. Together they will trap you in a world of horror. But if you live through it, <laughs> you will never forget. The Brainiac and the Curse of the Crying Women. We must leave the rest of this sequence to your imagination. It is too diabolical for you to take. Black Pit of Dr. M. <laughs> We must apologize. The shocks you are missing would make your blood run cold. Not since the cabinet of Dr. Caligari has the screen been so filled with the eerie, the shocking, the incredible, the diabolical. We warn you, see it only if you can take sudden shocks, shattering terror. Black Pit of Dr. M. Live from the Land of Light in Nebula M78, home of the mighty Ultra Heroes, it's Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review. Hayata, ace pilot of the Science Patrol and human host of Ultraman, leads the lightning operation of Episode 9 against the marauding Gabara. A tremendous typhoon sweeps over the Unari region, causing extensive damage and stranding a group of Alpine scouts at their camp. As two of the older boys venture out to find food, recovery work is interrupted by the sudden emergence of Gabara, a ponderous beast that feeds on uranium. The monster, sensing a large uranium storage facility at Abamaki, sets off towards the town. The Science Patrol hatches a plan to repel Gabara with flamethrowers, and it is successful in changing the monster's course, unfortunately sending it in the direction of the scout camp. Hayata suggests a daring strategy of luring Gabara into the mountains with a uranium capsule dangling from the bottom of a helicopter. Fuji and Hoshino stow away on the flight, and as Gabara takes the bait, they spot the two scouts within the drop zone. Stopping to warn the boys comes at a terrible price. Gabara swats the helicopter out of the sky before Hayata can transform into Ultraman. Is the lightning operation Hayata's last? Episode 9 firmly establishes Hayata as a heroic figure on the SSSP team who can quickly problem solve, keep a cool head, and inspire the younger generation, well represented here by the scout group and Hoshino, of course. Monster Gabara was created from a modified Baragon suit. The man in the suit was once again Haruo Nakajima, Godzilla himself, and a CGI version of the uranium-hungry kaiju is visible in the trailer for the upcoming feature film, 
Shin Ultraman. For Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review, this is Mark Matsky reporting. monster the world has ever known. The mightiest egg the world has ever known. Introducing the son of Godzilla. The fantastic red water, one of the many weird natural phenomena on mysterious Solgel Island. scientific experiment begins. Try another frequency. What is it? It seems as though something's jamming the wavelengths. Son of Godzilla, a rollicking monster spectacular. See how a baby monster becomes a monstrous monster. It's 1966. The space race is on. The Cold War is heating up. And giant monsters are destroying Japan. Daikaiju Attack from award winning author Stephen D. Sullivan. Now available in all ebook formats on Amazon, Smashwords, Drive Through Fiction, and other quality outlets. And in print on Amazon.com. Find more info at daikaijuattack.com, sdsullivan.com, and the Daikaiju Attack group on Facebook. Join the action today. Listeners, I've been wanting to have Michael Leggi on the show for a long time. And if you don't know who Michael Leggi is, maybe you know who Dr. Dreck is. He's one of the best horror hosts in the business right now. Uh, he's a friend of mine. He's an author. Uh, he's just a great guy. And he's this week's guest on Monster Kid Radio. Welcome to the show, or welcome back to the show. Well, as my alter ego would say, greetings, friends, and fiends. There you go. <laughs> how how have uh, things been going in the world of Dr. Drek, the dungeon of Dr. Drek? Well, um, as you probably know, I think it's almost a year ago now that I was inducted into the Horror Host Hall of Fame, which yeah. really threw me because I've always considered myself a more obscure horror host. So I was really surprised and gratified, of course. But to join the ranks of all those other great horror hosts is, is a real honor. So I'm very humble. Otherwise, uh, we're starting what would be our 18th season pretty soon. And we've got uh, enough stations that pick us up all over the country for the public access angle. But then, of course, there's the Monster Channel and there's Betamax TV that run the show as well. So... I'm both uh, national and international, which seems strange. I get fan mail from different parts of the world, which is really strange. Yeah, that's great. So you never know. You never know who's aware of you. You probably have the same feeling. Uh, yeah, I've got, I've got a guy in New Zealand that I've become friends with who found me through the show. With the internet being the way that it is and streaming and, and everything else, yeah, you can reach a worldwide audience. And that's great that Dr. Drake is uh, getting attention all around the globe. <laughs> That's fantastic. Now, listeners, if you don't have Dr. Drek on your local public access, Michael just mentioned a couple of places, Betamax and was it the Monster Channel? Yep. I'm not sure if they're going by the Monster Channel 
just by itself now or not. They were in the process of reorganizing, so I hope I'm not giving out misinformation. But if you go to the Monster Channel on uh, Facebook, I think you'll find what's going on. I'll do some checking too and and leave notes uh, in the show notes and I'll mention it at the end of the show as well. What I'm getting at though is that there's no way people cannot watch you. You're available out there. Uh, Just, I I highly recommend it. And, you know, I know I sometimes say, he's my favorite this, my favorite that whenever I have somebody on the show. I really do mean it. I think Dr. Drek is awesome Uh, and I'm a big fan of what you do and I think listeners will dig it too. You've got a really different style and approach than a lot of these other horror hosts uh, that, you know, not the same one's better than the other, but you you stand out. You're unique in that way. And I really dig it. Well, good. I always called myself the anti-snark horror host. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate the movies, no matter what condition they're in. (laughs) Right. Right. And, you know, uh, if you were part of the Monster Kid Movie Club last weekend or so, you had an opportunity to see some Dr. Drek. And if I do another horror host weekend, I'll ask Dr. Drek to submit something else. So it's you know something you want to check out. Definitely want to check it out. And do you have a website for Dr. Drek? Yeah, on Facebook, I'm easier to find. So okay. uh, if you do Dr. Drek on Facebook, but it, I believe that there's a link to the, a separate website. See, I don't even know what I'm doing most of the time, so. Well, neither do I, so. <laughs> So in addition to horror hosting, uh, Michael's keeping busy. He is an author. He is a filmmaker. What's going on with Sideshow Cinema? Well, frankly, I retired from that. Okay. The last movie I made was called Crawlers. That's a few years ago now. But I have been concentrating on getting what films I did make out into a, a bigger audience. And I found what's called a film aggregator called Film Hub. And they are distributing or helping to distribute all my old movies. So uh, some of them are ending up on Tubi and Plex and uh, Vimeo. Uh, I can't even remember all of them now. But they're starting to pop up in those places. So if you ever uh, see my name somewhere, that's probably one of my movies. Oh, one would hope. <laughs> yeah. There's a couple of other Michael Leggies. There's an Irish comedian that's Michael Leggy, And then there's the actor Michael Leggy. So I'm, you know, I was probably the first one because i'm the oldest oh okay okay (laughs) (laughs) well i've got a number of your movies in my dvd collection here so listeners who have a chance to see them uh, i still love evan straw and i've gone back and watched that a few times now over the years so highly recommend yeah that's on amazon prime again right now excellent excellent right on well if you've retired from filmmaking that gives you more time to write right yes and as you know I have a new book that just came out. It's called Deader Than Dead. I called it a Ready Boys mystery. It originated because, well, I think you said that you read Hardy Boys books when you were a kid. Yeah. And so did I. Mm -hmm. Uh, And actually, a few years ago, I decided to read some Nancy Drew ones just to see what that was like. You know, I I find no shame in reading middle school kids books. So I was reading Goosebumps. Goosebumps. I'm sorry. Goosebumps. Because I'd never read them before. (laughs) Ghostbumps should be a thing, though, I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's copyrighted in my name right now as I speak. Okay. Okay. Um, gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> so anyway, uh, when I read that, I said, oh, this is this is fun. And so it, it occurred to me, if I wonder if I could somehow make like a Hardy Boys thing, but make what happens to them real supernatural stuff instead of fake. Because that was the thing about the old Hardy Boys things is they might have spooky titles, but it was always some human agency causing such things. You know, always kind of a disappointment. I really wanted some monster to be in it somewhere. So then I decided to make the Ready Boys in this particular book uh, a combination of a Hardy Boys influence mixed with the goosebumps so that the uh, thing that they face in it is a real monster. 
And also, since I can't help myself, there's a lot of humor in it. That's uh, the premise of it. I don't want to give too much of it away. You've gotten a taste of it yourself, so I don't know how much you can get away with talking about it. But uh, it may or may not be a series. I don't know. Okay. I didn't intend for it to be a series when I did it, but then I got to like the characters I was writing so much. I thought, you know, this is fun. As I mentioned to you in an email, it's like the Hardy Boys meet Kolchak. Mm -hmm. So I might keep going with this. I've got another idea rolling around that I might uh, see if I can flush it out. Right on. Yeah, I just checked on Amazon. I typed in Deader Than Dead. And I don't know if it's because of the kind of things that I look up on Amazon and Jeff Bezos knows or whatever, but it is the second entry that comes up under Deader Than Dead. So it shouldn't be too hard to find for people. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, just check out Ready Boys. It's called a Ready Boys mystery, but... There are three kids. Yes, because I figured I might as well put a, a Nancy Drew character into it. I did gear it towards approximate middle school age. So, you know, it's not like it's got a lot of uh, bad words or, you know, questionable situations or anything. It's supposed to be just fun to read. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, adults can read it and get a big kick out of it. Did you just call me an adult? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Please forgive me. <laughs> I meant to call you a weirdo. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Hey, oh, okay. (laughs) It is a lot of fun, and I really felt that Hardy Boys vibe. And I read Hardy Boys growing up. Of course, the ones that I read always had, like, Skull or Ghost or, you know, something spooky in the title. And then I would get through it, and then, oh, yeah, you know, it's a Scooby-Doo thing. You know, it's always somebody pretending to be whatever, which I appreciate now as an adult. But back then, I think I wanted a monster. I wanted a ghost. I wanted something scary. And so you do get that in this, not to spoil anything, and I'm not going to. But when it opens with... The two kids thinking their dad might be a vampire. Uh, you know, and that, that's like in the first chapter. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah. And they really thought this through. I mean, this is. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully, you know, everybody will realize that, you know, obviously this is slightly tongue in cheek. And it's kind of, you know, tries to vacillate between both things of, you know, sometimes being scary and, and sometimes just being funny. Hopefully I have accomplished that. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed what I've read so far. I'm going to keep reading it and finish it up. uh, And I will go on and leave a review on Amazon when I'm done. And listeners, you should do that too for your favorite authors. Leave a review uh, for them on Amazon because sometimes that helps get it into other people's uh, search queues or however Amazon magic algorithm, whatever. I don't know. Anyway, (laughs) I don't know how that works. You'll find all my other Uh, books too at, at the same time. And that's where I was going to go with that. Yeah. yeah, so you've got Deader Than Dead, The Outlandish Adventures, Lurking in the Late Night. I really like Escape from the Domain. That one <laughs> speaks to me because I love public domain monster movies. And this one just dips into all of them. And it's so much fun. And that's really kind of the vibe that I get from all of your stuff. Yeah, it's spooky. Yeah, it's scary. But there's still that level of fun. And that's what I really respond well to. That's why I watch horror hosts. That's why the monster movies that I watch always have that layer of, I'm not going to say cheese or, or shtick or whatever, but there's always a level of fun. Right. It's not just spooky. It's spooky, you know, and I love right, that. Right, right, yeah, yeah. And even in the, the first couple of books uh, that I did of the, the B-Movie Museum and uh, Monster Kidding goes into the a lot of the movies themselves. I may have some criticism of them, but I can respect anybody that gets a movie made and gets it out there, no matter what condition it's in. So that's why Mm -hmm. I can't just trash everything. You know, I've made movies, so I know what it's like. Yeah, I think, you know, because we're creatives, we kind of see the other side of that. 
Yeah. And we understand. So I will proudly die on the hill that I love Monos the Hands of Fate unabashedly. <laughs> uh, I'll watch it straight. I don't need a riff. I dig that movie. Is it technically well made compared to what was being done at the time? Probably not. But it's got so much just weird, enthusiastic drive behind it that I can't help but respond positively to it. Not that I'm comparing what you do to, you know, Monos and Hands Fate, but I'm just saying. <laughs> 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 oh, wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, so you said you might do a series with this one. Do you have anything else in the, the hopper for writing-wise? Do you have anything else? In uh, no, because right now I'm mulling over um, if I can make the one that's in my head work. I, I tend to, to write when I'm writing a fictional thing like that, um, I don't think about it too much and start to write and let it kind of see if it'll write itself because that's a good sign. Right now, the the crux of the situation I'm writing about is has to do with a deserted drive-in theater. Ooh. So I'm trying to see if I can work something to give it a different twist. Like, um, well, it, you'll see in the uh, the first book, the monster involved. I'm trying to give it a different type of twist at the end. So that it's not like your typical story in that vein. So I'm trying to think of something to do with the drive-in that'll make it uh, identifiable at some point, but also off-kilter at another point. You know, and as monster kids, as fans of this stuff, drive-in culture, drive-in movie theaters, that's right in our wheelhouse. So I can't wait, man. I hope it works out because I want to read that. Okay. I hope it works out too. <laughs> well... <laughs> Well, again, links in the show notes to this book and everything else Michael is up to in terms of the other books. And if I can find some links to some of his film projects on the various platforms, I'll make sure there's links to that as well. The downside about waiting so long between appearances with Michael is that two or three different topics come up. And it's like, yeah, we should talk about that one. Oh, we should talk about that too. And then we have him on the show. And it's like, okay, we got to talk about it all. <laughs> <laughs> So I wanted to catch up about the horror host. I wanted to talk about the book because, again, highly recommend it. But you originally reached out to me, it seems like over a year now, about talking more about Dwight Fry. Yeah, he's one of my favorites. And he's kind of a cult figure, I think, among uh, monster kids. And he doesn't uh, get a lot of attention, although he got a very good book written about him, Dwight Fry's Last Laugh. I think that's Gregory Mank. But I'm figuring that a lot of people don't know that much about him so that I would throw in... Not only uh, the things you would expect me to talk about, but things you may not know about him or things he's been in, which, uh, you know, sometimes you got to look really hard to find stuff he's been in. You know, he didn't have the heftiest career that I feel like he deserved. He is such a great actor. He disappears in his roles so effortlessly. You keyed me on to one of his movies. You keyed, uh, turned me on to The Crimes of Dr. Crespi. Right. Mm -hmm. And... I love that film. Anytime I get a chance to talk about it or recommend it to somebody, I even had the pleasure, I guess, of having seen it here on the big screen. They showed it as a double feature with White Zombie for some reason or other <laughs> uh, at, a, at a theater attached to the art museum a few years back. And I was excited for White Zombie, but I was just as excited for The Crimes of Dr. Crespi because it's such a great film. And, and a big part of it is because Dwight Fry gets to play somebody who you don't normally, or at least as a monster kid, I don't normally get to see him play. You see him play the hunchback assistant or the, or the weaselly kind of Renfield or whatever. In Dr. Crespi, he's almost the heroic lead. Right, yeah. And he's got a big part. Yeah, and it's fantastic. How did you first become aware of him? Did you see him in the monster movies first? Is that what kind of clued you into him? I think I saw him as Fritz before I ever saw him as Renfield. 
for some reason, I, I saw Dracula later in my years. I mean, I've been watching uh, these things since I was, I don't know, five or six years old. But I didn't see uh, Dracula until I was about 10. So that was the first time I became aware of uh, Renfield. But uh, later on, you know, once I got to know who he was and could spot him in, in the movies, uh, he really intrigued me. And I wanted to read more about him or at least learn more about him. Uh, a lot of times, unfortunately, some of the film critics trash him and uh, belittle his performances or whatever. I don't know why they get a kick out of doing that, but they do. So I felt, well, this guy's getting uh, unfair criticism, I think. So I, I, I thought that this would be the time maybe to say stuff about him or to make uh, more people aware of him. I, I know that there is a Dwight Fry appreciation page on Facebook if anybody wants to find it. Oh, okay. I could go on and I will. <laughs> I can give you some background on him and uh, okay, and get okay. into some of the more obscure things. I would love to learn more about him. Well, first of all, he was born in uh, Salina, Kansas. And mm -hmm. what probably a lot of people don't know is that he was a concert pianist. He... Uh, would play he wasn't just you know in his house playing he would perform and even as a stage actor which he was for quite a while he even got to play on stage and at least one play that i'm aware of he got to play the piano on stage so you normally wouldn't think of like renfield playing a piano <laughs> at least but, not very well <laughs> uh, yes not very well yeah with his fists maybe right <laughs> The thing about him being on stage is that he was a uh, well-respected actor and comedian. He was a good comic actor, and that shows up in some of his film performances, maybe in a slyer manner. But um, he was, you know, an all-around kind of uh, youth actor, because he would be uh, probably in his twenties around in uh, when he was first in stage. And he was in—you might have heard of this—he was in a play called *The Devil in the Cheese*. <laughs> Okay. Believe it or not, it was kind of a fantasy thing. And guess who was in it with him? Um, I, I, I wouldn't even know who to begin to guess. Bela Lugosi. Really? Yeah. The Devil in the Cheese. Yeah, I don't know if they ever had any scenes together, but they were in the same play. I think the actual play, since it's very old, is in the Internet Archive. You could actually read it. Okay. But it, it's kind of a fantasy play. But I remember uh, I said, oh, well, that's the first time they were together, even though they probably never had, uh, you know, scenes together. He eventually uh, was even in some silent movies, like uncredited. And then he moved to, uh, you know, the West Coast to try his hand in, in movies. I think the second movie he was in, which I've seen, was in 1930. It was called Doorway to Hell. And it stars Lou Ayers, and he's got a small role in it. He's seen fairly early in it as a hitman who calls uh, somebody out of their house so he can shoot him. <laughs> <laughs> and and then you see him as a gang member uh, in the background for uh, off and on for the rest of it. I'm not sure if he ever speaks again, but that was the, the first real exposure that he had, and that was 1930. And then, in of course, as we all know, in the course of a single year, he did two iconic roles which is Renfield and Fritz. And he's the definitive Renfield as far as I'm concerned. And as for Fritz, I'm pretty sure that the play version of Frankenstein by Peggy Webling had the assistant named Fritz. Yeah, yeah, that's true. 
And so that's how uh, that name, people obviously erroneously call him Igor over the years. They they don't know the difference. But speaking of the humor, I always remember Fritz pulling his sock up when he was going up the stairs. And I, I had just always had the feeling Dwight did that. He wasn't told to do that. Dwight did that on his own. <laughs> Since he was a comedian at heart, I think those are the two iconic roles. So just think if you were an actor and in one year you did two roles that are going to rem be remembered like 100 years later, practically. That is something all in itself. I know that his son, also named Dwight Fry, he's, he's gone too now, unfortunately. But he said his father would be astonished to think that anybody would know who he is, which is, you know, bittersweet, obviously. Yeah. You know, you, you mentioned the, the Fritz Igor thing. And even as a kid growing up, I confused the two. I was surprised when I finally heard or read your I think I read about it in a book that Fritz was the assistant in the first film not Igor that Igor didn't come around until the third film and right yeah like it, it really kind of broke my brain a little bit so I was like no it's supposed to be Igor right but the yeah. more I finally see the film yeah he's he's perfect as Fritz his Renfield though I mean if I had to pick one Renfield in that laugh oh my yeah. I that is just that's just something. Yeah, it's just so good. Yeah, I have heard that he was sort of a method actor before there was such a thing. And so my guess is that he came up with that laugh, but he had to think about it for a while. He had to figure out how would Renfield laugh. And I think that would be the last thing that most people would think of, that, <laughs> you know, that laugh there. It's a closed mouth laugh. Oh, it's so good, though. Yeah. And then just a few years later... He did another great role as Carl in The Bride of Frankenstein. Mm -hmm. And that's a good-sized role for him. And the only other role, I think, of any great significance that he did was uh, Herman in The Vampire Bat, which is kind of a Renfield Fritz together <laughs> in a way. But uh, it's a low-budget uh, mm -hmm. movie, but he's got a, a decent part in that. I, I wonder, you know, while we as fans of these movies love him in these films— did he somehow get pigeonholed into this kind of stuff? Is that the only kind of thing he did in that period of, of time? Do you know? Or what he thought about it? Well, these other films that I will mention are intermixed during these time periods. Oh, uh, okay, okay. Unfortunately, I can't, with a couple of exceptions, I can't uh, point to any large role that he ever got after that, from my memory anyway. Mm -hmm. You're probably aware of some of these, but I'm going to knock off these other films that you can find him in. He is in the first version of The Maltese Falcon. He plays the Wilmer part that Elisha Cook played in the Bogart version. He is in The Black Camel, which is a Charlie Chan movie. And coincidentally, Lugosi's in that one. So there he <laughs> is with Lugosi again. There you go. <laughs> and that was around in between these times of Renfield, Fritz, you know, Brian Frankenstein. I saw him in a movie called The Circus Queen Murder, which oh. he's an aerialist, a tightrope walker. And... He has uh, a rather splashy end in the thing uh, because he's <laughs> kind of nuts. But it's a it, that's an obscure one that I, w I was searching for. And as you uh, already uh, mentioned, The Crime of Dr. Crespi, where he's actually the, I would say, the lead hero in it, even though he lets himself get locked up in a closet for a while. <laughs> and he is in a single chapter of the serial, The Drums of Fu Manchu. He's a, a museum curator. And he's actually in a fight scene with the, with the rest of them, which is kind of an odd sight. He's in a movie called Sky Bandits, 
which is a Renfrew of the Mountie singing Mountie thing. He's one of the a kind of a coerced bad guy in it. And it's got a it's it's got a slightly sci-fi edge to it because it's about a, a death ray. And, and which one was that again? That was Sky Bandits. I okay. might end up playing that at some point because it's got the slight sci-fi edge to it. I've been fascinated by Death Ray movies, so yeah, I just there's so many of them too. Right. <laughs> I know, and most people would know this one: The Dead Men Walk, mm-hmm. the one with George Zuko. That's that's one of the movies that seems to constantly get denigrated, but I really like that movie. Really? Yeah. I think that's really good. Yeah, I really like that movie, too. And he, he's a combination of Fritz and uh, Renfield in that one, kind of. Uh, he's got a decent role in that one. Mm-hmm. He has a, a bit role in a movie called Great Guy with Jimmy Cagney. He has a scene with Cagney. It's a comic scene. He plays an effeminate hairdresser. And it's it's just funny. <laughs> I, I just was watching that. I was, oh, that's funny. <laughs> He's trying to think of uh, a way to make Cagney look better for the particular uh, scene that's going on. <laughs> so uh, I believe that one you can find, too, because I think that's an old public domain movie. Okay. But I can also point out, you know how people would say poor Bela? Yeah. I can say poor Dwight because oh. he got the shaft a lot. Most people probably know that he had a much larger part in The Bride of Frankenstein. Yeah. There was a, there was a whole subplot of uh, him murdering his uncle and blaming it on the monster. And I guess because it made the movie too long, they cut it all out. So he lost a substantial part of his part there. Fortunately, a lot of his part still survives. So that's good to know anyway. Yeah. I've heard that he was a villager probably and the son of Frankenstein. And that got cut out. And I saw a movie called The Great Impersonation in 1935. It was remade later, but this one is 1935. And he plays a part in it of a guy, kind of a, a whacked out guy in the woods with a beard and he howls. And But the thing is, you don't see him until like the last five minutes. And even then, you don't really see the poor guy it only shows him in extreme long shots he never gets a close-up he dies and you wouldn't know it was dwight fry unless you knew from the credits that it's dwight fry and uh, all i could think of was could you give the poor guy a (laughs) close-up or even a medium shot he see it's like he's an extra and I was like, geez, why are you doing that? <laughs> I mean, yeah, he probably got, a, you know, maybe a couple hundred bucks for a day's work. But still, uh, it, what a waste is all I could think of. Yeah. That's a hard movie to find. I, I had to, that's, I don't think that's on the Internet anywhere. I had to uh, find a bootleg copy of it on a DVD in order to see it because I had heard about it. And it was uh, actually shown, I believe, in the original Shock Theater package that came out. Even though it wasn't a horror film, they used to throw in other movies that weren't really horror films in the, the shock theater package. Right. And that's how I became aware of that movie that Dwight Fry was in it at the very end. So I thought at least we'd see him and hear him. But anyway, the last thing that I, I'll, well, there's two more things to mention is that for a long time, and even Famous Monsters is guilty of this, they would show a picture of Bernard Jukes, who played Renfield on stage and say it was Dwight Fry. Oh, no. Uh, there's a cover of Famous Monsters, one of the early ones, and in the inside it identifies it as Dwight Fry, but it's Bernard Jukes in his Renfield uh, costume makeup. Poor Dwight got mischaracterized that time. 
he didn't catch a break, man. Yeah, and and the biggest thing of all was that he finally landed a different part in the bio of Woodrow Wilson, and he died before he could do it. And he died pretty young, didn't he? Yeah, he was only in his 40s. He was a Christian scientist, unfortunately, so he ignored his signs of uh, heart failure and things like that, which is really, really too bad, because it's possible that if he lived, he might have started to get into other things. He never gave up, but he was a tool worker in a factory during the war. And even on his death certificate, that's how they identified his occupation, tool worker. Really? Didn't even mention that? Wow. And all I can imagine is, remember those, I think of those guys working next to him in a factory that, I wonder if they knew. (laughs) This is Renfield. (laughs) This is Fritz I'm working with here. I I just wonder if anybody knew that, you know? (laughs) I. That, that would have been awesome if I was working in a factory, you know, making tools or whatever. And the guy that helped Frankenstein is right next to me, man. That best job ever. I know. Yeah. <laughs> you, gotta, you know, you, you tell him a joke and he goes, <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> he'd, get, he'd get sick of me. You know, Do the laugh again. Do the laugh again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's all I could think of is that anybody know that that was him. Could they recognize him? I mean, if you see him in the last movies that he was in, he, he looks pretty haggard. He, he didn't look well at all. That's too bad. Uh, it was too bad. Especially in uh, Dead Men Walk, you can see that he's failing. That was one of his last things that he did. But um, I was going to ask you, I haven't played the Classic Five because I want to do a switcheroo. Oh. With you. Okay. But if you want to play the Classic Five first, you can. <laughs> okay, let me pull out some cards. Unless you're not ready. I don't no, know. no, no. I'll get the cards right here. I didn't. We, we dove right into Dwight Fry and I didn't want to yeah. interrupt you. But yeah, okay. I've got the cards right here. Let me give them a good shuffle. The Classic Five. The Classic Five. It's a game that we play on Monster Kid Radio. I've got five cards here. I'm going to draw five of them randomly. Each one of these cards has a this or that. Which movie do you prefer style question? It's not a trivia game. There's no wrong answers. It's just a way to get Monster Kids talking about their favorite subject monster movies. Michael. Are you ready to play? I'm ready. All right, here we go. Uh, deck question. Which movie do you prefer, Tarantula or Them? Them. Them? It's a close one, but Them. Them! Watch out for Them. A menace never known to man or beast before. An endless horde of crawling, crushing, gigantic creatures. So horrifying, there was no word to describe them. Watch out for them. Watch out for Warner Brothers' screaming new shock sensation, them. Yes, I saw them. They were huge and scaly, and they had gigantic jaws, and and then one came at me. Kill one and two take its place. This is the endless onslaught of them, clawing up out of the earth from mile-deep catacombs. See them, the most astounding journey into terror ever taken, starring James Whitmore, Edmund Gwen, John Weldon, and James Arnett. Them! I always go tarantula because of John Agar, so... Oh, yeah, well... But but I know them is them has got... Oh, that's got the scares, though. That's got the real scares. Yeah, every, every summer in my house, I see the miniature version of them <laughs> my, on my kitchen counters. Oh, so it's personal with you. It's personal, yes. <laughs> I, I aim for the feelers. <laughs> All right, card number two. Uh, who do you prefer, Bert I. Gordon or Roger Corman? Oh, Roger Corman. Yeah. See, I don't even have to think about these. Yeah, man, you're just boom, boom, firing them right off. Oh, All right. yeah, yeah. All right, how about this one, card number three? What character, character from a classic monster movie would you like to have a drink with? 
a character. Mm-hmm. Wow, ah, that is a that's a tricky one. Uh, Doctor Pretorius. That one comes up a lot. Yeah, I think he'd be fun to drink with, and that's it. Just drink. I don't want to do anything Just else. Just drink. Him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we already know what the toast would be to new worlds of gods and monsters. That'd be great. All right, uh, here we go. Uh, card number four. What is your favorite man in ape suit or man in gorilla suit movie? That's a tricky one. Um, probably, um, sometimes I get the titles confused. I think it's called the monster in the girl. George Zuko puts the brain of a human being in a gorilla. Yeah. Uh, monster in the girl, uh, 1941. That's the one. Yeah. Because that's really different. <laughs> and actually the guy, I don't know who played him, uh, who was in the gorilla costume, but he was pretty expressive with his eyes. I kind of admired that. Well, now I'm curious. I'm going to find out who it was. I don't think yeah. it was Gamora. Uh, I don't think or, so either. The name would I mean, be or like... Corrigan. I don't think it was those guys. It'd be somebody different. The uh, Universal Monsters VHS cover makes it look like Bob Burns, and I know that's not him. Yeah, so, yeah. Huh. Yeah. Mystery I'll look up and solve later. All right, final card. <laughs> Uh, what classic monster movie needs a prequel prequel yeah dracula a prequel to dracula how would you Mm. would it be about you know dracula how we got that way okay yeah because obviously he was vampirized by something or somebody so so we want an origin story for dracula yeah yeah that would be interesting as long as it's not a love story (laughs) all right are you ready for me now huh yeah, I'm sorry, my brain's still in Dracula. Okay, yeah, yeah, hit me. What do you got? What do you got? All right. I'm calling this the Fry Five. Oh, no. <laughs> and all you got to do is agree or disagree, but it'll go faster if you just agree with me all the time. <laughs> okay. What I've done is I've picked five movies, and we were talking about how poor Dwight always got the shaft. Uh-huh. So I was thinking of five movies where I would cast him in that he's not in. Okay. And this is not one of those things where I'm replacing any icons, you know, all, you know, I'm not going to have, you know, replace Claude Rains or Boris Karloff or anybody. Sure. But to give him a good supporting role and some variation, here's the example. Now, we both know that he has a bit part in the original Invisible Man as a reporter. Mm -hmm. I think he could have played Kemp. Ooh. Can you imagine him as Kemp? Yeah, I like that. Weasley and... Yeah. Yeah. He, that would have been a good role for him. I think so. I think you're right. Yeah. yeah. And the second one is also an Invisible Man movie. The second one, Invisible Man Returns. Mm. To give him a good guy part and make him the brother of Griffin. Ooh. Who administers the serum to Vincent Price. I like that. That way he'd be different and, you know, he, he wouldn't be just this nutcase and it's a good role. Yeah, I could see that. That's not, Let me just say it. This is nothing against the people that played those oh, roles. sure, sure. This is just, you know. The third one I think is really interesting. I would put him in the Son of Dracula as the Van Helsing guy, uh, Professor Laszlo, because it would be so much fun for him to be a vampire hunter. <laughs> Wow. You know, uh, you know, give him some glasses, gray his hair up, you know, and uh, have him be the vampire expert. I think that would be something. 
even on like a meta level, that sounds cool. That's just, <laughs> you yeah. know, having, having Renfield come back and take care of the vampire. Just wow. I mean, I know he's yeah, not playing Renfield, yeah. but yeah. Um, wow. Right. That would be really fun. <laughs> oh, man. You're uh, really, man, this is awesome. I want to live in this alternate reality where all these things happened because this sounds amazing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, here, the fourth one is a movie he is in, Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman. Uh-huh. But I would give him the part of Varzik, the bartender, the guy that blows up the dam. <laughs> yes. Because if anybody's going to blow up a dam, I want it to be Dwight Fry. Yeah. Oh, I like that. And I can I can just imagine it's a bigger part and it's more flashy. Mm-hmm. So that would be fun to see him in that one. And the last thing would be something, unfortunately, he, that he would have been dead by now. But I'd love to have fit him in one of the mummy movies. So I wanted to put him in the mummy's curse as the high priest with Martin Kostlick. Oh, as the high oh. instead, instead of Peter Coe, have him be the high priest. Because he could be much more fanatical about... <laughs> The mummy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> where, you know, Peter Cole's kind of bland. You know, he's kind of bland in that role. I mean, Dwight would have given it much more color. Just in the eyes alone, the way yeah. you get that kind of Renfield stare again. And then. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And him and Kostlick together would be a lot. Oh, that'd be great. <laughs> so that's the Fry Five. I love it. I love it. Man, I'm just trying to imagine. Wow. So it'll be interesting to see if you get any mail that anybody thinks, oh, that's good. <laughs> no, I think, yeah, listeners, let us know what you think. Or do you have any other ideas? Yeah, they might have other ones. I mean, yeah. I, I tried to just keep it to five. I probably could have thought of more. But those were the ones that really struck me that'd be the most fun. Well, as soon as you said, call him like the, you make him the bartender that blows up the dam. My brain, and I don't know why this is why my brain works. I'm glad it does. But my brain, you said bartender, and I know it's not universal, but my brain went to Hammer Films and Michael Ripper, and now I want to see Dwight Fry in the Michael Ripper of Universal Films role where he pops up in everything <laughs> in some way. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. That would have been great, too. If he, if he had lived that long, he could have been in probably Roger Corman movies for all we know. Yeah, hey, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I could easily see him playing in a lot of those movies. Oh, it would have been great. Oh yeah. man, we we really missed out on a lot. But unfortunately, there's there's a handful of really great performances for us to enjoy now. Yeah, uh, you know the big ones, and then some of the ones that you've mentioned. You know, I'm going through his internet movie database. You know, cast listing, and I know a lot of it says he's uncredited or whatever. But you know, I'll still try to track some of these movies down to see if I can catch up. You know, like a Dwight spotting kind of game. You know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sounds like a new hobby. Dwight there you spotting. Go, there you go. There you go. Do, do the Renfield laugh every time you see him on screen. You know, just... <laughs> oh, man. The the legacy of this guy. I can't think of anybody who's played Renfield better. And I, I know I said that earlier. I'm always going to go back to that. He, for me, is the definitive Renfield. I mean, I know Hammer didn't even try to do a Renfield character in their Dracula films, really. And I don't know if they should have because Dwight Fry was the definitive Dracula Renfield. I mean, he's just the guy. Yeah, uh, yeah, that laugh just it echoes within you for hours. You know, it like like I said, I, it's too bad that uh, he didn't live long enough to see how much he's appreciated. Same with you know poor uh, poor Bela, shall I say? Yeah, didn't live long enough to get the appreciation like Karloff did, and I think maybe Cheney lived long enough to start to get the idea that people really appreciated him too. It is too bad a lot of the people from that era yeah i mean we love them now but mm. you know it just it's it's heartbreaking to know or, or to hear about how some of these people spent the the back half of their lives you know i mean we 
Lugosi, yeah, he hooked up with Ed Wood and did a few things here and there, but man, he was worthy of so much more. And I mean, I put Dwight Fry right in there too. Mm. If he just lived a little longer, he was just on the edge of uh, the Renaissance. Yeah, you're right. Who knows? He might have been in that Route 66 episode. Oh, I love that episode. Man, that'd be great too. <laughs> what, what role would you put him in in that episode? I don't know. You'd have to make one for yeah, him. Yeah, I think so. I couldn't replace yeah. any of the others. Can't uh, replace anybody in that. I, guess. We're, I can't remember the, name, the title of the episode, but we're talking about the Route 66 episode that has Karloff and Cheney and Peter Lorre uh, teaming up. And Karloff plays the Frankenstein monster one more time, kind of, sort of. <laughs> yeah, kind of, sort of. The makeup's not as good. It's just a mask, but still, you know, it's great to see him in the mask. Yeah. Uh, but man, Dwight Fry, oh, so much more that he could have done. Such a shame. Yeah. And you probably, you know, like like you said, if you look at his filmography, you'll how many times it says uncredited. Yeah. Because he was just scraping along, just trying to get through life. And there's a reason why he was a tool maker, right? Yeah. Too bad. So that's what's what's sad about it. Uh, did I don't maybe you would be aware of it. Did his son ever make it to any conventions? I don't know. I, I went and I looked up that book that you mentioned, the Gregory Make book, and I guess he did an introduction on it or something, but that's all I really know about the guy. I mean, he's gone now. Um, and I think he's in um, one of the Universal DVDs, you know, being interviewed or he's part of a, you know, one of the retrospective things on one of them. But yeah, I don't know if he ever did any of the conventions or anything like that. Oh, it's too bad. Although he, at least he was, he was cognizant of the fact that people appreciated his father, at least. Yeah. Uh, even if he didn't make it to a convention, but it looks like he appeared in a few documentaries too, like in search of Dracula and things like that. So, yeah, ah, that? Well, he's been, yeah, I can always talk about these, these actors and actresses who never got their due. And I love talking about them with people who, you know, know them and appreciate them as much, if not as much more, much more than I do. And, mm. you know, so to have somebody well, like you on here to talk about and champion drug fry, it's a treat. It's a real treat. Well, we know Alice Cooper liked him, too, from the Ballad of Dwight Fry yeah. song. That but he spelled his name wrong. <laughs> yeah, he dropped the E off the end. Maybe maybe that was to avoid trouble. I don't know. But oh, there you go. <laughs> but I, I believe that he's he gets mentioned, or Renfield gets mentioned in lots of other songs. If you look it up, you'll find a lot of uh, rock songs and later on from different groups that may mention him. It's interesting sometimes how many... Uh, Monster Kid references are in a lot of records. Right. They all love it. Yeah. You know, Alice Cooper, um, and I'm drawing a blank on any of them. Any of the other, Kirk Hammett, you know, they, they all love, they're all, they're us. They're Monster mm. Kids, just like us. And, I mean, Renfield is one of those characters, those character types. You, you mention a Renfield type and you can't help but think Dwight Fry. Yeah. Well, there's that. So we talked about Dwight Fry. We talked to you about your book. Anything else you want to talk about today? Since it's been so long since I've had you on the show. Oh, geez. Um, I'll offhand, I can't think of anything. Except that I guess the pandemic uh, helped me catch up with movie watching. There you go. <laughs> oh, man. I, I don't know about you, but I have missed going to the movie theater. That's that's a thing. That's I didn't think I would as much as I did. But uh, there's a chance I'm going to go see a movie this Sunday with somebody. Now that I'm vaccinated and, and my friends are vaccinated, we're actually going to venture out. And I... I can't wait. <laughs> well, in my town, we have one of the three remaining drive-ins in the state, Massachusetts. And they were actually open during a lot of the pandemic because people yeah. could just stay in their cars and be safe. Yeah. And, you know, we have a drive-in here about an hour's drive from me. But my car radio doesn't work. 
Oh. <laughs> and that's how they do the sound. So I was like, oh, man. <laughs> ah, yeah. Yeah. You, oh, well. You could hire a guy that does sign language and have him stand in front of your car. <laughs> <laughs> Do like an interpretive dance for me. And just, <laughs> yeah. Perform the film for me. Yeah, no. yes, please. Yes. <laughs> right on. Well, I appreciate you doing this, and I appreciate your patience and your persistence on getting on the show. Let's not wait nearly as long. And I know I say that all the time, but really, I mean it this time. I want to have you back on the show down the line to talk about more movies, because I like talking with people who love them as much as you do. Yeah, I was checking my back records. I think it's been two years since I was on last. It's been a long time. Yeah. Way too long. And please, if you write another book, let me know, especially if it's a Ready Boys book, because, man, I loved it. <laughs> All right. Well, you'll give me uh, confidence to go on. I am Dracula. A moment ago. I stumbled upon a most amazing phenomenon. Something so incredible, I mistrust my own judgment. Look. Dracula. The very mention of the name brings to mind things so evil, so fantastic, so degrading. You wonder if it isn't all a dream, a nightmare. Rats, rats, thousands, millions of them. But no, this is no dream. This is Dracula, the original terrifying story of a maniac and a man who lived after death, lived on human blood, took the form of a vampire bat and lured innocent girls to a fate truly worse than death. Dracula? Oh, what, what's he done to you, dear? Tell he, me. He came to me. He opened a thing in his arms. And he made me drink. America's classic thrillers come to life. The Hardy Boys, Nancy Drew Mysteries. An adventure into suspense. There's got to be a way out of here. You used to go with her? Forget that. Oh, Professor, do you go sleep footprints? The adventures of America's favorite young detectives come to television. Follow that ghost. The Hardy Boys, Nancy Drew Mysteries. Hello there, Monster Kid Radioheads. This is Kenny with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. Today, Derek and his guests are looking at the Monster Kid favorite character actor, Dwight Fry. Famous Monsters had a fantastic article on the Hollywood star in FM 126 from July of 1976. It was nine pages long and included 14 photos. Let's take a look at the highlights. Yes, Master. Two words, and every red-blooded film monster fan knows instantly who is being referred to. Dwight Fry, man of mystery, man of madness, public loony number one. 
From the time he stepped through the doorway to hell in 1930, a Warner Brothers film, till he died in 1943, he was a favorite supporting player and character actor, specializing in fiends and maniacs. Audiences loved him. Ironically, his career spanned exactly 13 years. Listen to him again in your mind's ear. He came and stood below my window in the moonlight. And he promised me things. Not in words, but by doing them. Doing them? By making them happen. A red mist spread over the lawn, coming on like a flame of fire. And then he parted it. And I could see that there were thousands of rats with their eyes blazing red, like his, only smaller. And then he held up his hand, and they all stopped. And I thought he seemed to be saying, Rats, rats. Millions of them, all red blood, all these will I give you, if you will obey me. This line is but a sample of the many scenes in classic horror films that were immeasurably enhanced by the presence of Dwight Fry. Although he was never considered a star in the Hollywood sense, he was, and is today, recognized by horror fans as one of the truly terror-inspiring actors. His appearance in a film was bound to make the evening's entertainment that much more bone-chillingly exciting. Dwight Fry was born in Salina, Kansas on February 22, 1899. His family moved to Denver, Colorado shortly thereafter, where he lived through his high school years. In his mid-teens, he became enamored of the stage and attended plays put on by the local Denver Stock Company, as well as those presented by traveling stock companies passing through Denver. Fry's parents were conservative and not oriented towards the theatrical profession. They insisted that he enroll in a business college, but after several months he left for his first part with the Denver Stock Company, playing the juvenile lead. His debut was a success, and he was on his road to a career that would lead him to the wilds of the Carpathian Mountains, helping create a monster and, in later films, helping to destroy that same monster. After several successful years in Denver playing both secondary and leading roles, he took a train to New York, determined to make it big on Broadway overnight. To his despair, he realized after several months that no one cared. He was only another hopeful face in the sea of thousands waiting in vain for the big break. Almost out of funds, he accepted a small role in a vaudeville act entitled Magic Glasses. He toured for 40 weeks in this show and followed it immediately with a road company tour in the successful play La La Lucille. At the finish of this tour, Dwight joined a stock company in Pittsfield, Massachusetts and toured for several years in many shows. While playing in Twin Beds, New York producer Brock Pemberton spotted him and engaged him for a key supporting role in his Broadway production of The Plot Thickens. The critics praised him and he was on his way. Throughout the 20s, Fry received increasingly important roles in a variety of plays, including Rita Coventry, Love Habit, Sitting Pretty, Goat Song, and Puppets, in which he played the piano-playing villain. One play of particular importance was The Devil and the Cheese, 
which starred Frederick March and mysteriously handsome continental actor named Bella Lugosi. Thus did Renfield meet the Count for the first time. But Dwight's spider and fly eating days were still five years away. Fry continued successfully on the Broadway stage through 1929 when the critics voted him one of the ten best actors of the legitimate stage. Inflated with success and striving forward with the urging of the young bride, Lorette, to spur him on, he decided to go to Hollywood and try to conquer the film capital. Shortly after his arrival, Warner Brothers signed him to, for several films. In the first, Doorway to Hell, he played a machine-gunning psychotic hood who obviously relished his work. After completing his second Warner feature the same year, Man to Man, he was signed by Universal for the greatest role of his career, Renfield in Dracula. Following Dracula, that same year, Fry returned to Warner's to play Wilmer Cook, the psychotic, sadistic, and cowardly gunsill in the first version of The Maltese Falcon. Bela Lugosi retained with Dwight for a Charlie Chan thriller, The Black Campbell, several months after completing Dracula. Although Bela, as a mysterious fortune teller, was the prime suspect, he turned out to be merely a red herring. The butler did commit the murder in this film, as played by Dwight Fry. He returned from Hawaii after the completion of Black Camel to portray his other classic character for the first time, Fritz, in James Wells' Frankenstein. This was to be another reteaming of the great Lugosi with Fry, but Bella bowed out prior to production and thus began Dwight's first meeting with another stock company veteran, Boris Karloff. Fry's performance was memorable, and much of the humor he gave the character has to be seen visually, such as when he is going down the long castle steps to answer the door. Obviously annoyed at the intruders, he keeps pausing to pull up his socks, becoming ever more irritated. You can't see it. Go away. Fry's next horror film was The Vampire Bat, in which he co-starred with Lionel Atwill, Melvin Douglas, and Faye Ray. He portrayed Herman Glebe, a simple-minded peasant similar to the mad Renfield. Poor Herman really loved his bats, walking about with them, petting their knobby heads, and stroking their webbed wings. Unfortunately for him, the local villagers thought he and his bats were responsible for the vampire murders, and summarily executed him without trial. The real murderer was later revealed to be Lionel Otwell, the good doctor. No, 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 no. Bats no do. They soft, like cat. That same year, Fry did a bit part as a reporter in James Whale's The Invisible Man. To make up for his lack of screen time in that film, Whale gave him the juicy role of Carl in his next film, The Bride of Frankenstein. The part was originally a great deal longer than what exists in the current version. A whole subplot involving Fry with the murder of his uncle was excised from the film after its initial previews and first run due to excessive running time. Stills exist that show some of these sequences, but unfortunately, the edited segments of the film seem to be lost. However, what remains is quite good. It was a very fresh one. That same year, Fry appeared in Crime of Dr. Crespi. Fry is on the side of good this time, thwarting von Straheim's plan to bury his enemy alive. Dwight Fry's great roles were now behind him. He returned to the stage in Night Must Fall in 1937 and Dracula on several occasions, both with and without Lugosi. He continued to work in films, but never in roles of major importance. 
His appearance in Son of Frankenstein as an angry villager was cut from the finished film because it ran too long. He played an angry villager in the next two films in the Frankenstein series, Ghost of Frankenstein and Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman. In the former, he wanted to blow up the castle. In the latter, he wanted to blow up the dam so the flooding waters would destroy the castle. Neither part was of great length or importance, but at least audiences were able to see a bit of Dwight Fry, although important and meaty roles were not to come his way again. In 1943, he had his last horror role, a sizable one in a PRC mini-epic, Dead Men Walk. While Fry and Zuko turned in fine performances, the film left much to be desired. What do I care what they believe? You will pray for death long before you die. Fry went on to make several more films, his last being Dangerous Blondes with Rita Hayworth. He died on November 7, 1943, at the young age of 44. The cause of death was a heart attack, apparently brought on by the strain of working nights in a wartime aircraft plant to support his family while playing bit roles for very little money by day. Like his friend Bella Lugosi, Fry was a victim of the Hollywood system which rarely used him to the best of his ability. However, his finest moments as Renfield, Fritz, and Carl are still remembered and appreciated today, long after most supporting players have been forgotten. It is a testament to his brilliance as an actor that we pay homage to the small but mighty maniac, everybody's favorite mad assistant, Dwight Fry. The following is a filmography. He may have done other unbilled bits, not listed here, and it is known for certain that he starred in a nudist colony film in the 30s, mostly hiding in the bushes watching the camp members play volleyball. But unfortunately, the title is unknown. The article ends with the promised filmography, over 50 films with years and studio listed. How many have you seen? There's a new holy grail for you. That is all for this week's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. We will have more next week. For MKR, this is Kenny saying adios. That brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. I want to thank everybody for being here this week. I appreciate you. I really enjoy having this community of Monster Kids around the world. We talked a little bit about that with Michael. Around the world, having all of these monster fans coming together to just enjoy monster movies the way that we do. It's just awesome. And I am incredibly lucky that I've somehow fallen into this community the way that I have. Couldn't have done it without you. I just want you to know how much I appreciate all of that. Everything that you've heard about on this episode of Monster Kid Radio, you're going to find information about and links to on our website at monsterkidradio.net. You're going to find our contact information over there. You can call and leave a voicemail for Monster Kid Radio at 503-810-5MKR. That's 503-810-5657. Or you can send an email to the podcast. MonsterKidRadio at gmail.com is the email address. That's MonsterKidRadio at gmail.com. So if you have any thoughts about the show, any comments you want to make about this episode or the previous 524, wow. Uh, if you have any Monster Kid topics you want to talk about, write it in, call it in, and we'll address it on a future episode of the podcast. Also on our website, you're going to find links to our Facebook page, our Facebook group, our Twitter, our Reddit, 
and our Discord. I think our YouTube is over there as well. We've got a lot of places online where you can interact with Monster Kid Radio, with fellow Monster Kid Radio listeners, and with me. I love interacting with people across the internet, especially when it comes to talking about, well, Monster Kid stuff. That's just fun. Also on our website, you're going to find links to everything that we've talked about in terms of the movies and DVDs and books and that sort of thing. There are buttons that are going to take you to Amazon. We are an Amazon affiliate. So anytime you buy anything from Amazon using one of these links, whether it's what you actually clicked on or not, like if you're going to buy a microwave, please consider clicking on the book for the Dwight Fry book to get over to Amazon, then do the microwave search because we're still within that Amazon affiliate umbrella and we'll get a little bit of kickback from Amazon for that. It doesn't cost you guys and gals anything extra. Just Amazon throws a few pennies my way and that helps support the show as well, as does Patreon. You can find our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash monsterkidradio where you can Always use your support there. And even if you can't contribute anything, please consider sharing the link, not just to the Patreon, but to the podcast as well. Retweet things, share things, just let people know because we're always trying to grow the Monster Kid audience, the Monster Kid radio audience, and just make this community bigger and stronger. The more monsters, the merrier, you know? This weekend, we are doing movies at the Monster Kid Movie Club, which is the name of our Twitch channel. You go to twitch.tv slash monsterkidradio every Saturday starting at 11 a.m. You're going to get an awesome pre-show that was put together by Scott Morris. And then around noon, the movies actually kick in. This is all Pacific time. We run anywhere from six to eight, sometimes even ten hours of monster movies on that channel on Saturday. Usually there's a theme and it's free. And it's fun, and it's only missing one thing, and that would be you. Come on over and join us. There's a live chat, and I love to see the chat hopping during the movies. It's the only time I'm going to encourage you to actually talk or chat during a film. Join us in the chat room to talk about what we're seeing. And this Saturday's theme is Mexican monster movies. So you're going to get the Brainiac. You're going to get Samson and the Vampire Women. You're going to get the Black Pit of Dr. M. And a couple of other things as well. And here's the cool thing. I always try to, uh, you know, I don't know if I could really say I clean up the movies. I kind of spice them up a little bit. You know, a lot of these older movies, these public domain transfers, they're not in the best of shape. Sometimes you get some... <sighs> in the background with the audio, or, you know, sometimes the picture's just a little fuzzy. I've got some tools and tips and tricks that I use on video and audio that I run a lot of these movies through to try to make them look even better than what you're going to find on some YouTube link or some discount DVD. So please join us to see some of these movies. Come for one or come for all of them. On Tuesday, we do the same thing, but in a, a more limited dose. It's more sci-fi themed, although lately we've been doing serials. And that starts at around 3.30 p.m. on Tuesday, and that runs till about 8 p.m. And then from 8 till about 9, I'm joined by Jeff Pullier for what we call Star Trek, a talk time. You know, Jeff and I talk about something Star Trek related for about half an hour to an hour. And this upcoming Tuesday, we'll be talking about a Voyager episode, The Q and the Gray. So please join us for that as well. Again, totally free, live chat, lots of fun, only needs you to make it better. Well, that's the Twitch channel. What's coming up on the podcast next week? You know what? I need to go through and make sure, but I think we're going to be running... An interview that I did with Paul McComas, longtime friend of the show. A few years ago, he and his wife had the, oh man, they had the pleasure, I guess, the honor. I, 
I don't know, whatever it was, they got to go see King Kong on Broadway. And while I wasn't there and I can't make, go back in time and bring you with me to go watch it, we've got the next best thing. We've got Paul telling us all about the experience of King Kong on Broadway and then more King Kong discussion as well. Because in case you didn't know, in case you couldn't tell, Paul loves King Kong. So... We'll be talking about that next week, more than likely. Stay tuned. Of course, if there are any changes or updates to any of that, I'll make sure I note that over at monsterkidradio.net. Between now and next week, remember that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivative, 3.0, unported license. Of course, it doesn't apply to the song Espinela Caída. It's from the album Veneno di Cana, and it is copyright 2021, Terremoto. I know I'm mispronouncing at least one of those words, so tell you what. Why don't you go straight to their Bandcamp page, which is T-E-R-R-E-M-O-T-O-R dot Bandcamp dot com. Check out this song, this album, and all their albums, and let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes as well. My name is Derek M. Cook. I'll talk to everybody next week when we get our cog on. Adios. Adios.